he feeds on the deep water. He gave the order for a windstorm and stirred up the waves of the sea. They reached up to the sky, then dropped into the depths. The sailor's strength left them because the danger was so great. They swayed and staggered like a drunk, and all their skill proved ineffective. Still the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. The New Testament reading uh, comes from Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Let's hear the word of the Lord. One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. This is the inerrant and infallible word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Children, you may go to your respective classes. We return to the scripture that we read with Mike this morning from Luke chapter 8. Verses 22 to 25. If you're visiting this morning, we are in a study in the gospel according to Luke. Uh, we started during the Advent season uh, with Luke's story of the conception and birth of Christ. And we've just continued through Luke, line by line, verse by verse, uh, scene by scene, episode by episode. This is one of my favorite scenes in all the gospel. Uh, the story of Jesus calming the storm, stopping the storm, the Sea of Galilee. I'm sure you remember that three years ago, almost to the Sunday, three years ago in August, we were in this same passage. And I thought about having a quiz uh, about to see, to see what you remember. Uh, never fear, uh, we're not going to do that. Uh, but in that message, we were looking at the confrontational Christ. It was a series that we did. As Christ was confronting the world boldly, confronting his disciples, uh, confronting uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, confronting the nation of Israel with who he was in reality, that he was the son of God, that he was the son of man, that he was Messiah of Israel, that he was deity. And here in this passage, we saw that he was claiming to have authority, the authority of God over all of creation, that he could stop a storm. Well, in where that was the theme of that message. The theme of this message uh, uh, this morning uh, 
will be about fear. What is your greatest fear? That will be the question before the house this morning as we consider this passage again. Before we do, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the incredible privilege of bowing before you and calling you Father. We pray that you would lay the immensity of this blessing on our hearts that are in, in our individual lives, we might yearn to speak to you, that we might run to seek to you. We pray that together as a church, as priests, priests for Fayette County, priests for our neighborhood, priests for our family, we pray that you would teach us to relish this time on the Lord's Day when, when we can pray together as a gathering of priests. Our Father, we thank you for what you have done and what you're doing at Christ Presbyterian. We don't take that lightly. Our Father, we're not the same church that we were. And we pray that a year from now, two years, three years, four years from now, we won't be the church that we are today. We pray that we will have grown, grown spiritually, grown in our understanding, grown in our love for you, grown in our love for each other, grown physically. Our Father, that's not done because of anyone who stands behind this desk. It's only done by the power of your Holy Spirit in each one of us. Our Father, we pray this morning for Priscilla Turner. Oh, Father, hold her up. Give her strength of mind and heart and soul for these days. Bless Laura Berryman. Give her strength of heart, mind, and soul for these days. We pray, our Father, for Charles, the Charles Dugan family. We pray for Melissa, the children. Draw close to them. Our Father, we pray that you would bring Comfort to them, comfort beyond their imagination. Now, Father, as we open your word this morning, once more, we need to confess this every Sunday. 
that John Sartell cannot teach so it will make any difference in our lives. We're dependent upon you, dependent upon your spirit to teach us, to change us from the inside out. So we pray this morning that we would hear your voice in our hearts. Father, the person that has never heard you in his heart and her heart, we pray that this morning that they will hear you for the first time. In Jesus' name, for his glory. Amen. Isn't scripture amazing? It really is. It's prophetic when you and I have no thought of prophecy. In our responsive reading, we read Psalm 107, verses 23 to 30. It's a description of what happened on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus and his disciples, but it was actually written about 1,200 years before that event. Did the psalmist know he was writing prophecy? Probably not. But when Jesus suggested to the disciples that they leave the northwestern side of the lake and cross to the northeastern side, he knew, no doubt, he knew. He knew the storm was coming. He knew what he would do that evening. He also knew that it was recorded in the Psalms of David. The psalmist was saying, this is what God does with storms on the sea. And then Jesus went out and did it. He was indeed demonstrating that he was the ruler of creation. But this morning, another subject. What is your greatest fear? I want you to think about that. What's the, we sit here on this Sunday morning in August. What is your greatest fear? I don't think I can ask you a more important question. Fear is a good thing. It is a characteristic innate in mankind. God created that characteristic in us to be a blessing. Did you know that? He, he created, gave us the ability to have fear, not as a curse, but as a blessing. We teach our children a righteous fear. A fear of putting your hand on a hot eye on the stove. Fear of walking out into the driveway. When our oldest daughter, Jill, uh, was about three years old, we lived on uh, a small road that ran through Cedar Bluff, Virginia. It was barely two lanes. One morning I, I saw that a, a bird had been hit, killed on that road, right at our driveway. 
And I took Jill down. And we stooped down and we looked. And I said, what is that? Bird. And I said, Jill, it is a dead bird. I said, do you know what happened? That bird was hit by a car. It's a dead bird. I said, if you get in this road and a car hits you, you'll be dead like this bird. What was I doing? I was teaching her to fear. I was saying, you need to be afraid of giving in this road. A father who thinks it's a manly thing to teach his son not to fear rattlesnakes or not to fear riptides, not to fear reckless driving, that is a foolish and a poor father. All of us have known people that we've admired who have seemed to be fearless. And it's often considered, being fearless is considered a great asset that goes with being brave and courageous. But I've never talked to an individual who did, who, who was a part of something extraordinarily brave, extraordinarily brave, extraordinarily courageous. I've not talked to an individual that participated in that who said, you know, I was fearless. I discovered that they were afraid. They had fear. They just weren't ruled by their fear. Now, just as we teach our children, you teach your children what they should fear, our Father in heaven teaches us how to fear rightly. He's our Father. He does what I did with Jill and with John and with Jane. He teaches us to fear rightly. And first and most of all, do you know what he does? He calls upon us to fear him. In fact, now listen, I want you to consider this. In Scripture, he calls on us to fear him as much as he does calls on us to love him. Did you know that? A concordance is a book that lists all the words that are in the Bible. You would be amazed if you looked up the word fear. And you turn to every single passage where God says to fear him. It would blow you away. You can't count them. And then look up where it says to love him. The Bible's full of them. But both of them are there. In your scripture sheet this morning, look at Deuteronomy 6.13. Fear the Lord your God. Serve only him and take your oaths in his name. 
Look at Psalm 211. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Do you see that? Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. When a people do not know God in Scripture, do you know how they're described sometimes in Scripture? Here's a people, here's a nation that don't know God. Do you know how they're described in Scripture? Abraham was in Gerar, the patriarch. Look at Genesis chapter 11, or chapter 20, excuse me, verse 11. Genesis 20, 11. Abraham said, or replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place. How did he? He didn't say love of God. There's no fear of God in this place. They have no regard for God in this place. In Romans 3, 11 through 18, you read through there, and he's talking about the characteristics of a sinful people, characteristics of an evil people, characteristics of a fallen people. And look what he says, verse 11, there's no one who understands, there's none who seeks God, all have turned away, they together become worthless, there's no one who does good, not even one, their throats are open grazed, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers are on their lips. So you get the idea, he's describing a people that are sinful and fallen. And look how he sums it all up, the last phrase in that paragraph, look at verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. You want to see something that you probably haven't seen before. In Genesis, God is called by the name fear, the fear of Isaac. In other words, he was who Isaac feared. Look at Genesis 31:42. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, now the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac are synonymous. Talk about the same person had not been with me, you surely would have sent me away empty-handed. Genesis 31, 53. May the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac. We're so much to fear God that actually God is called the fear of Isaac, the fear of Israel. In Proverbs, the poet writes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not the love of the Lord, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, what does all of this have to do with the passage before us? And what does it have to do with the right kind of fear? In the 22nd verse of Luke 8, Jesus suggests to the disciples that they go across the lake to the other side by boat. They were on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And he said, let's cross to the northeast side of the lake. Now, next week, we'll see a strange appointment that God had there. As they were crossing, there was a sudden and violent storm. Now, the Sea of Galilee does not look like a sea. It looks like a large lake. It's 13 miles long. It's eight miles across. When I first saw it, I wondered about this passage. 
How could a storm of this magnitude take place on such a small body of water? I asked several people who had boats on the lake, and they were quick to answer, that's not unusual. I'd obviously been asked the question before. The lake is the second lowest body of water on earth. It's 600 feet below sea level. There are mountains to the north and to the east of the lake, and when storms come across over the crests of those mountains, the winds are pushed down upon the lake with a violent force. Now, this storm was very real. Luke did not say that his disciples just thought they were in danger. He himself said, look at verse 23, and they were in great danger. They were in a perilous situation. Now, Peter, Andrew, James, and John had grown up on this lake. They owned boats on this lake and fished it commercially. This was not their first storm, yet they were afraid. In Matthew 8, 26, as Matthew writes of this, he was in the boat. He, replied, he has Jesus replying, verse 26 of Matthew 8. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Why are you so fearful? Mark 4.40. In Mark's version, he said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still, mark that word still, do you still have no faith? First, both writers, Mark and Matthew, said the disciples were afraid. Now, fear is natural in a circumstance like that. But what did Jesus say in Mark? He said, do you still have no faith? He was really saying, do you still have no faith in me? After all you've seen me do, do you still have more faith in the storm? Is that where your faith is? In the power of the storm to kill you? Is that where your faith is? In Luke, he says, where's your faith? He was saying, what, on what are you placing your faith? He's not talking about them losing their faith. He just said, where does your faith rest? Is it in the storm or is it in me? Now, wherever you are with your greatest fear, when I ask you, what's your greatest fear? Jesus walked straight into your life. Just like he does, if you have, if you have uh, an idol in your life, something that you love more than Jesus, more than God, the God of the Bible will walk in and he'll challenge that love. He'll say, who do you love first in your life? Well, in that same vein, Jesus will walk into our lives when we have a fear greater than him, and he'll say, What's your greatest fear? Is your greatest fear of cancer or is your greatest fear me? Is your greatest fear financial ruin or is your greatest fear me? Is your greatest fear of failure or is your greatest fear me? 
Is your greatest fear that your child will die or is your greatest fear me? Is your fear that you will not be able to support yourself? Is that your greatest fear or is your greatest fear me? Is your greatest fear death or is your greatest fear me? Jesus will walk straight in your life. That's what he did in the boat that evening. He said, you're really more afraid of the storm than you are of me. You're, you're more fearful of the storm than you are of me. After Jesus went home to glory, after Pentecost, the disciples were threatened, threatened by the Sanhedrin. They were threatened by Herod. They were threatened by governors all around the Mediterranean. They were threatened by Caesar himself. They were threatened with beatings, torture, death, and exile. Yet they were never intimidated. You see, Jesus had healed all diseases. He had dominated the demons. He had stopped storms, showing his absolute control over creation. He had raised the dread. He had walked out of that tomb. Which Caesar, which the stamp of Caesar, the stamp of Rome had sealed. These men could not be intimidated then. Because Jesus was greater than any of the, far greater than any of the intimidators. You see it? He was saying in the boat, do you not understand I'm greater than some squall? I'm greater than some rainstorm? This is nothing. I laughed when I was writing this yesterday. Uh, in high school, uh, my sophomore year in high school, I grew nine. I used to be really short, and I grew nine inches in nine months. I became tall in nine months, an inch a month. My whole body hurt. But the outcome was, and you can ask Janet about this, I was thin. I mean, I looked like I came out of a concentration camp. I was scary skinny, really skinny. But let me tell you about my best friend. His name was Charles DeLay. He really wanted to date Janet badly. Tried to when I was out of town. But Charles and I practically lived together. All the time we were together. He was one of the strongest people I've ever known. He was just naturally muscular. He did not need to lift weights. He was born with muscles all over. No one, and I mean no one, would purposely go up against him. And do you know who he was? He was my best friend. If you were going to deal with me, you had to deal with Charles. Now the disciples even had a better friend. He was sovereign over the Sanhedrin. He was sovereign over Rome. Peter and John stood in the midst of the Sanhedrin, the body that had crucified Jesus, and they literally looked at him and said, 
Y'all are small. You don't have any power. You couldn't keep him in the grave. You don't have breath unless he gives it to you. Do you expect us seriously to be afraid of you? Caesar says to Paul, do you not know that I can take your life? And Paul says to him what Jesus said to Pilate, you have no authority, you have no power over me unless God gives it to you. Jesus was sovereign over disease. He was sovereign over all weather, over all creation. He was sovereign over Satan, sovereign over all evil. He was sovereign over death. And he was their friend. Where did they first learn that lesson? When did they begin to understand? It was on the boat in Galilee that evening. They had been afraid of the storm, afraid of capsizing, afraid of death. And something happened that was beyond anything they had seen so far. Jesus spoke and the storm stopped. We read there was a great calm. Now all storms come to an end. That's no miracle. Storms stop. But the next time a storm comes ripping through Fayette County, go stand on your patio or on your front porch and face a storm. Do this and just shout, stop, and see what it does. Stop. Now, you've never done that, and you won't do it because you're afraid the neighbors will see. And take you to be a fool. And they would be right. Because you're not the king of creation. You're not the lord of creation. You're not the creator. You have no power over storms. Jesus shouted, and the disciples were there. They were watching. Here was the wind, 40, 50, 60 miles an hour, waves coming up. And Jesus said, stop. And within a second, the waves became like that floor. The wind stopped. It had no choice. The creator had spoken. And the disciples jumped up and they gave each other five and said, did you see that? Wow. Hey, Jesus, way to go and slapped him. You know what happened in that boat? The disciples backed away. John turned to Peter and said, who is this? Who is this that stops storms? Suddenly, their greatest fear was no longer the storm. Their greatest fear was Jesus. They were in a boat with someone who was bigger than a storm. That's what Jesus wanted to teach his disciples. Your fears will not be kept in right perspective unless I am your greatest fear. That's what Jesus was saying. You want to be fearless in that storm? Understand that your God is bigger than the storm. One of the first verses my parents taught me was Psalm 27.1. I didn't appreciate it that much at the time, but I do now. You know what Psalm 27.1? Look it out on your scripture sheet. This is the verse they taught me. I had to memorize it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Now, by the way, in the Psalms, 
In that kind of literature, when the word salvation is used, it's not just referring to Jesus dying for us on a cross. It's just not a, an atonement for sin, a spiritual salvation. It is a salvation from everything. It's salvation from war, salvation from death, salvation from disease, salvation from financial trouble. The Lord is my light and my salvation. And then right, then what does he say? Whom shall I fear? In other words, fear is directly related to understanding who God is. What else am I going to fear? If God is my salvation, what, what is there to be afraid of? He says, the Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Why did they teach me that verse so early? They were saying, John, whatever it is you fear is not greater than your God. They did not want me to be owned by my fears. They wanted me to keep my fears in perspective. David understood this is all through scripture. Look at, you know, you know the verse, Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What's the next word? I will not fear. Why? Because you're with me. I wasn't afraid going out on Friday night. I was with Charles Delight. Jesus says, John, you've got someone better than Charles Delight. You have Jesus. I think Jesus supplied Charles Delight. Someone greater than death. David was saying, someone greater than death is in the valley with me. That's what the disciples learned that evening. Someone greater than the storm is in the boat with us. Look at Psalm 91, 1 through 7. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High who, who dwells in the shelter of the, the house of God will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That was another verse I had to learn when I was young. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He'll save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He'll cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you'll find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Look what verse 5 said. You will not fear the terror of night or the air that flies by day. Stonewall Jackson was asked why he was not afraid in battle. He said, when I am in God's hands, I am as safe on the battlefield as I am home in bed. Listen to Jesus, Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not to spare a soul for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered, so don't be afraid. You're worth far more than a sparrow. What's he saying? His eyes on the sparrow. I know he watches over me. He's got me. How many is saying? This is all through scripture. Don't be afraid. You will not fear the hard things in this fallen world if you fear me first. Well, the common 
comeback on that is, John, I don't want to fear God. I want to love God. The Bible calls us to do both. Whenever anyone says, you know, says to you, you know, Christians should never fear God. You run from them. It's arrogant. It's unbiblical. It's heresy. This fearing God and, and loving God, they weren't contradictory to me. It was, it was not hard for me to understand because of the earthly father that I had. I loved my father. I knew he loved me. He had been a Marine in the Second World War. But he always, from childhood, would hug me. He didn't say much. Didn't talk much. Very quiet. Like me. But he would take me in his arms. I was in high school. He would pull me close and he would kiss me on the cheek. I knew he loved me and I loved him. But as much as I loved him, I feared him. I reverenced him. I said, yes, sir. I said, no, sir. I would have been a fool to do anything else because of who he was. I feared his discipline. I feared his displeasure. I respected his knowledge. That's fear. John the apostle understood this thing of loving and fearing. He was in the boat with Jesus that evening. He was one of the experienced fishermen in the boat that thought he was about to die. He was one of the disciples who suddenly feared Jesus also more than the storm. He might have been the one to say, who is this? And backed away in fear. Yet he was known as a disciple whom Jesus loved. He was there at Calvary. Remember, Jesus committed the care of his mother to John. John was as close to anyone to Jesus. Now, question. We're at the end. Question. When was the next time, after the ascension, when was the next time John saw Jesus? When was the next time he saw his friend Jesus? Look at Revelation 1, 10. We'll read it. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. 
His eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he had seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. And behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold to death the keys. I hold the keys of death and Hades. John did not run and hug Jesus. In fear, he fell prostrate as his feet. People, you want to beat your fears in this fallen world? When we understand the gigantic nature of a transcendent Jesus, of a transcendent Father, of a transcendent Holy Spirit, then every other fear, when we fear him, every other fear, will be put in perspective. So the key question for all of us today is, what is your greatest fear? Our hymn is most appropriate. How firm a foundation 